Welcome to Always and Forever, a One Tree Hill podcast where two lifelong friends and super fans analyze and dissect the greatest teen show from the early 2000s. This week we are discussing Crash Into You, the fourth episode of season one, which was written by Mark B. Perry, directed by David Carson, and originally aired on October 14th, 2003. Always and Forever is spoiler-free, but if you're a Tree Hill veteran, stay tuned after the credits for a fully spoiled discussion. Somebody told me that this is the place where everything's better and everything's safe. In an attempt to include Lucas with the rest of the basketball team, Nathan invites him to a party at his parents' beach house. But the nice gesture doesn't last long. At the party, Nathan insults Lucas during a game of I Never and plays an old VHS tape of Karen and Dan from high school just to get him riled. Lucas leaves the party alone, angry, and hurt. Since Lucas was Haley's ride home, Nathan offers to drive her in Peyton's car. Haley questions whether it's worth it to continue tutoring him if he won't leave Lucas alone. On his way back to the beach house, Nathan accidentally crashes Peyton's car and decides to leave the scene, even though Lucas witnessed the whole thing. While Lucas fixes the car, he finds Haley's hat and figures out that she's been talking to Nathan. Nathan proceeds to lie about the car to Peyton's face. After hearing so many lies and seeing all of the terrible things he did that night, Peyton has finally had enough and breaks up with Nathan. In this episode, we also meet Dan's wife and Nathan's mother, Deb Scott, who promises to stick around more to keep Nathan safe from Dan's toxicity. Looks like we'll be seeing more of Deb and what looks to be a blossoming friendship with Karen. Trying to find my green hat that I must have left in my car. I'm Caitlin Elenich. And staying in my current residence while the mansion is being renovated, I'm Jeremy Rodriguez. This episode is titled after the song Crash Into Me by Dave Matthews Band. Ooh, they changed up the title. I know. I really wonder why they did that, actually. I have sort of an analysis, but it's kind of reaching, honestly. Yeah, I don't really understand the difference between changing the word from me to you. Doesn't really make a lot of sense to me, but... This song, I didn't really see a really big connection to this episode. It basically, to me, is a love song, and I think they're just kind of playing off of the word crash because of Nathan's car crash. What did you think, Jeremy? I mean, for one, yeah, it is kind of a love song. I also felt like the song was a little bit misogynistic, to be honest with you. I don't know. It's like, the lyrics like, hike up your skirt. And I'm like, all right, this is kind of gross. But overall, I feel like this, specifically the lyric, if I've gone overboard, then I'm begging you to forgive me for my haste. I feel like that's sort of a way of addressing um, Nathan and Haley, because in a way, Nathan's indirectly asking for forgiveness from Haley. I kind of saw that. That was something I extrapolated from it. And I also think it's a little bit of a message about some characters are getting closer. We have Deb, who's choosing to stay home to keep Nathan safe from everything. There's Deb and Karen, who seem to be getting a little bit closer, which, love that scene, can't wait to talk about that. And then there's Lucas, who's essentially making peace with his upbringing. That's a good point. Um, as far as changing the, t- the word from me to you in the title, I feel like it's a way of saying, like, I am not asking you to come to me, which is what the song is about. I am going to be proactive and come to you 
to make sure you see who I truly am. And I feel like that connects to like what a lot of the characters are going through. In particular, there's Deb who's going to Karen. It's not her waiting for Karen to come to her, it's she's going to Karen. So, I don't know, I felt like maybe they had to change the one word for that, but again, I'm, I could be completely reaching for that. <laughs> no, I think that makes sense. I think the whole season so far, these characters are kind of crashing into each other. Oh, totally. And that's what's creating all of these different conflicts. So, I can see a connection in that way. Okay, but, um, you said that you think this is the first really good episode of One Tree Hill, and I gotta say, I agree! Yeah. This is a pretty good episode. It, it's not the greatest, it's not perfect, but I, I really enjoyed watching this one. I think all of the storylines are really interesting in this episode. Yeah. And you're actually getting to see more of these characters. But they also have time to introduce some new ones! Yes. Okay, they introduced one new one, but oh my god, so many layers to this. We meet Deb Scott. I love Deb. Oh, she's so great. I've always loved Deb. (laughs) And she's such a contrast to what that, to what Nathan and Dan typically deal with. It's just a different dynamic that she brings to the table. She's a good person. I love her. I know. She's not who you would imagine Dan to be with. I love the first line that she says. (laughs) <laughs> she says, hey, check it out. It's called dinner. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, it's a little bit, you know, it's sarcastic, but it's also showing like, oh, she cares. She's making dinner, even though she's been away for the first three episodes, you know? And then we also see that Dan asked her, I thought you weren't coming home. And she's like, I wasn't until I sweet talk Zyadex into doubling their gift to AIDS research. It took all of one meeting. And I'm like, all right, she's a charitable person. I'm into it. I want to know a little bit more about her career, but spoiler alert, we never really see it. Yeah, I know. We never really do. I mean, at least as far as um, this particular job is concerned. I mean, we see Deb work. Um, but yeah. yeah. I just thought that was very interesting to have her character introduced from the get-go like this. What I like about Deb and how they portray her in this episode is she's like an independent woman. And mm-hmm. I think One Tree Hill's done a really good job in showing independent women. And it starts with Deb and Karen. And I love that. They're like role models in a way. I absolutely love the scene where she visits Karen's cafe and asks for a coffee and a biscotti. And especially for the time, I feel like this is pretty revolutionary because it wasn't two women being pitted against each other. You know, as problematic as One Tree Hill was... Or is, I should say, as problematic as One Tree Hill is right now. I feel like this storyline was pretty ahead of its time, because Dan is a shitty person, but that's not Deb or Karen's fault for that. You would not expect, knowing the history that they have, that Deb and Karen would actually have a conversation like they did in this episode. You wouldn't expect that at all. (laughs) Yeah, she even says, it doesn't have to be our history. Yeah. Which I absolutely love. That's pretty powerful. Also, I'm bringing a literary analysis into this. Are you ready for it? Oh, I'm excited. Yeah, we're changing this up, Caitlin. (laughs) (laughs) So, Deb gives Karen $5. The um, the coffee and biscotti costs Mm $3.20. But Deb gives the $5 and she walks away. The number five symbolizes quite a bit, actually, through my intense Google search in. So, apparently it's a symbol of love. It's also a sign of freedom, and I feel like, you know, that could be interpreted as, like, it's a freedom from the chains that Dan has put on them, both Karen and Deb. Oh, wow. And it's also a symbol of kindness. 
So I feel like that was very intentional because they zoom right in on the hands of Karen and Zeb when Zeb is handing the $5. So I don't know. I felt like that was very intentional to show that. That's interesting that you point that out because they do zoom in. Yeah. I was just thinking that they were showing that she's just giving a little extra. Yeah. And I gotta say, Deb tips 60%. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, all right, yes. <laughs> Tip your servers, everybody. <laughs> Be the Deb Scott you wish to see in this world, because seriously, <laughs> she was she was on fire. And the one quote you already brought up, but Deb has so many amazing one-liners in the whole show. <laughs> like, I just... <laughs> She has some of the best lines. <laughs> oh, like, yeah. Oh, yes. We'll okay. get to one of them really soon, but. <laughs> I like how Deb brings up the fact that she doesn't carry that weight around from the past. Yeah. But at the same time, Deb wasn't forced to carry that weight. Karen was. Exactly. Karen was in the position that she would be the one carrying the weight because she was a single mom. She didn't have any help. Deb yeah. So, I think that's something to point out there. Mm-hmm. Deb doesn't feel guilty about any of this. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, like, what did she do wrong? Like, it's really not her fault that Dan chose her. That was Dan's choice. And Deb is just freeing herself of that. And I just, I gotta give her a slow clap. She's great. That's a good point. And college started and she got pregnant right away. She probably didn't even know about Karen. Yeah. Until later. I don't know if we know that exact timeline of when she found out. Yeah, I don't think that ever is um, established, but I mean, I'm pretty sure, like, Dan didn't meet Deb and say, hey, by the way, I got a girl in high school pregnant. Um, wanna fuck? (laughs) I don't think it actually worked out that way, you know? You also wonder why Deb would have stayed with Dan. Hmm. I mean, I guess when you're in love, you just, you don't really think much of it, honestly. Yeah, that's something I'm interested to explore as we move through the series. Yeah, and then maybe um, Zeb was in love, but maybe in a way she thought like, oh, Dan was pretty shitty to his girlfriend in high school, but maybe I can change him. So, honestly, I think Zeb is just as much of a victim in this situation as everybody else. Um, not even a victim, I think she's, she's a survivor. She's surviving right now mm-hmm. as all of this turmoil is going on with the family. It's a lot for all of them. (laughs) Yeah. And for different reasons. Exactly. Another thing I wanted to bring up about Deb is her interactions with Dan, and they had several arguments or discussions. I found it interesting that she admitted that she doesn't feel like she knows Nathan anymore or what he's going through. But she also, at the same time, is observing how Dan is pressuring Nathan and how that's affecting the happiness of her son, ultimately. Yeah, that one line in particular where Deb asked, how was Nathan doing? And then Dan starts to say a bunch of sports stuff. I don't even remember what he says, honestly. <laughs> a bunch of sports stuff. And then Deb um, clarifies, and she says, I asked you how he is, not his scoring average. Exactly. So it just shows that she cares for Nathan in a different way than Dan does. It's not to say that Dan doesn't care about Nathan. They just care about him in different contexts. Yeah, I was gonna say that too. That she really cares for his overall well-being, and Dan is just so hyper-focused on basketball. Yeah. So as we said, Deb is a survivor. Another survivor! Karen Rowe! Because, woo-wee, she's dealing with a little bit in this episode. 
Yeah, at the very beginning of the episode, we see Lucas in the shower and the water just stops and he comes out. (laughs) And Karen has to rinse his hair in the sink. Yeah, and I gotta say, poor Lucas, who's like more than six feet tall, he has to like bend over in the shower. I don't know, that was just an observation I made. It made me giggle a little bit. (laughs) Can we talk about that shower for a second? (laughs) What is keeping the shower head hanging? There's, yeah, there's like a little hook or something, which, oh, like, I don't want to, like, class shame or anything like that, because I don't know, that could be reality for a lot of people, but, like, maybe I'm, like, too bougie, like, I don't think I can handle that. I have never seen a shower like that before, so. Honestly, me neither. Again, if anybody does have a shower that's like this, I apologize. Seriously, like, I. (laughs) Props to you. Yeah, and hopefully you're not, like, Shad Michael Murray and you have to, like, bend over like that, because, oh, jeez. That just looks uncomfortable to me. I am like, I am so sorry, Lucas. <laughs> I think Karen's short enough. I feel like Karen could, like, you know, the water will just go right on top of her head. But, like, Lucas, I'm sorry. I really am. You're making my stomach hurt, Jeremy. <laughs> I'm crying over here. I never thought we'd be analyzing showers in this podcast. <laughs> This is honestly what I made this podcast for. I wanted to analyze the shower scenes of One Tree Hill. <laughs> there are definitely some in this series. There, there are. Hmm. <laughs> All right, I'm not going to like you. Let's not go down that rabbit hole. Yes, yes. Um, but it's more. <laughs> I can't stop laughing. My stomach really hurts. <laughs> Oh, do you need a break? I really have to catch my breath. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. Wow, I'm sorry. I was not expecting to laugh like that. All right, so so folks who are listening to this at home, um, Caitlin has been laughing for like a half hour. A lot of that has been cut out, you know, saying this at full transparency here. (sighs) Okay. I think I'm all right now. All right. Okay. But on a more serious note, Lucas confronts Karen later on in the episode. Why didn't we just ask Dan to give us what we were entitled to? And, you know, it turns into, like, this little mini-conflict. And then eventually she explains that she didn't want to ask him for anything because then he would have a say in how Lucas was raised. I really like that because that's what was most important to her, making sure that Lucas had a good upbringing, not having a shit ton of money. And that would have been the biggest sacrifice of all, letting Dan have a say. Yeah, exactly. And she even mentions this, too. We saw how he raised Nathan. Would they really want that, to- that type of toxicity for Lucas? I don't think so. Karen definitely would not have. And I think Lucas can totally understand that now, now that he's seen through this episode and the previous episodes how he's treated by Nathan. And how he treats Haley, which is a great transition point. Let's talk a little bit about what's going on between Nathan and Haley in this episode. So, he's not keeping up his end of the bargain, Nathan. He's not. And it's just not respecting the deal that he made with Haley. She's holding up her end of the bargain. She's tutoring him, even though she's not comfortable with it. But Nathan can't even do that for one night. Yeah, and even um, after he drops her off, when they seemingly sort of make peace with each other... And Haley says, lay off Lucas, and then she gets out of the car. Nathan still fucks with Lucas by leaving the car behind. Yeah, he did the worst things that he's done to him so far. Totally. 
So he just like, he didn't even listen to Haley at all. It's really frustrating. It's annoying, to, and, to put it lightly. And one thing I'd like to note about that is Haley never even saw the worst things. She wasn't there for the drinking game when Nathan insults Lucas, saying that he never had a dad who just wishes he was a stain on the bed sheets. Then she doesn't even see the video of Dan and Karen. But she's still giving him the benefit of the doubt. She is still giving him the benefit of the doubt, even though he doesn't deserve it. Yeah. Also, I don't know. I feel like some of the interactions between Haley and Lucas, it seemed like Haley was gaslighting Lucas a little bit. I mean, did you interpret it that way? Kind of, because she doesn't have any real reason so far to believe that Nathan's a good guy. Yeah. Even in a previous episode, it's not like they have a ton of backstory or anything like that. She's tutored him. That's all she sees. He's in, he's yeah. in need to bring up his grades. For all we know, like, maybe they did have, like, a ton of interactions. Maybe they had a ton of tutoring sessions where he was trying to show his good side with her. But I felt like it would be better if we've actually seen it. I mean, just because he was being vulnerable about his grades and needing help, that doesn't mean he's a good guy and that he's changed. Yeah, but that wasn't even until the end of the episode. That didn't even happen in the previous episode or prior to, like, those scenes where Haley tries to defend him. Yeah, so she has zero reason, really, to believe that he's a good guy. So I don't really know why she's defending him at this point in the show. I do like, though, that even though she did have that tense interaction with Lucas, she still went to Nathan afterwards. She said, hey, you're not holding up your end of the bargain. So she is, like, being neutral in this stance. It's not like she was holding, like, Nathan up on a pedestal at all. She is calling Nathan out on his bullshit as well. Yeah. She sees things differently than anyone else because she's giving them the benefit of the doubt, both of them. And realizing that they each have a very different perspective that they're bringing to these conflicts. <laughs> yeah, like, definitely. Lucas is seeing things in a much different way than Nathan is. And they're clashing. So she has a point in trying to get them to see it from each other's view. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the two of them bringing different perspectives, though, after Nathan says that comment about, I never had a father who wished I was a stain in the bedsheets... Um, when Haley confronts him about it, Nathan says, oh, that was just a joke. Sometimes the guys and I, like, like to rail on each other. And was there truth to that? Or is he trying to, like, um, downplay oh, the hurtful things that he said? Oh, he's downplaying that. I think he was, too. That was, yeah. like, I feel like, I know we said we we're going to put a pin in that and get to it, but that, to me, was, like, it's jarring. Because that is so such an insult to someone mm-hmm. that it kind of, like, I think every time I see the episode, I can't believe he said that. I can't believe someone actually said that. (laughs) And then the fact that it's his brother saying that. Yeah. It's not a joke to me. I don't see that as a joke at all. No, definitely not. I mean, it's just a display of toxic masculinity, I think, at the end of the day. You know, oh, boys will be boys. (laughs) Punch you on the shoulder type of deal. It's totally uncalled for. But speaking of boys, I know that's such a weird transition, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm going to get into it. This is totally off topic, but I mean, it's not. It has to do with the game of I Never. Did you notice the character Vegas? Who? The character Vegas. No. (laughs) Where was that character? He's in the game of I Never. So when Brooke friends Lucas in and she says, hey, Lucas, do you want to play a game? And then Lucas is like, what's the game? And then Brooke says, I never. And then the guy he chimes in and says, and apparently you have. Oh, God, I don't remember that part, I guess. 
It's okay. The guy's not that memorable. Let's be okay. honest here. That character, too, is only in two episodes of the entire series, and they're both in season one. He makes an appearance in this episode, then he comes back in episode 10. You never see him again. You really Anywho. did a deep dive, Jeremy. I did. Okay, so I was looking at this guy. Well, for one thing, that joke, that joke doesn't even make sense. It's not funny. Like, apparently you have. Apparently you have what? Like, I don't even get what you're trying to say here, but whatever. Anyway, I saw that guy, and I'm like, this guy's really handsome. I wonder who he is. And I figured out who he was. He was Drew Seeley. Do you know who Drew Seeley is? I'll no. tell you. He was a Broadway slash Disney guy. He played Prince Eric in a Little Mermaid Broadway show for about two weeks. Huh. Also, I'm sure you've seen a Cinderella story with Chad Michael Murray and Hilary Duff, right? Yes. Did you see the sequel? Another Cinderella story. Don't think so. Selena Gomez plays the Cinderella role. And Drew Seeley plays the Prince Charming role. Okay, now that's like a really um, obscure reference, but I'm sure you have seen High School Musical, am I right? Yeah, long time ago. So did you know that Zac Efron did not actually sing in the first High School Musical movie? I think I knew that. Okay, the guy who actually did sing was this guy, Drew Seeley, Uh, aka Vegas. Wow. Drew Seeley also co-wrote the song, Get Your Head in the Game. What song is that? It's the scene where Troy and all the basketball players play the... They're on the court, and they're like, gotta get my, get my, get my head in the oh, game. Okay. Gotta get you, get yep. you, get you, get your head in the game. I am sorry, listeners, if you had to, <laughs> I'm sorry you had to hear that, but I had to explain a point. But anyway, that was just a very fascinating pop culture fun fact, and I wanted to bring that to the table. Maybe it's only oh, interesting to me. That's I awesome. <laughs> I, this person, I didn't even realize was there in that scene. <laughs> so you're like, wow. like I mentioned the scene. You're like, which scene? Like, which scene? I guess. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's funny. But yes, that is Drew Seeley, AKA Zac Efron's singing voice. He also was a male singing voice. Number five in pitch perfect. He also has gone on to like a bunch of like Hallmark type movies okay. and whatnot. So like, he, he's still working. Don't get me wrong. So I wonder why he got this tiny little part in one tree hill. I have no idea. Maybe he was too busy doing, he was going to do Disney stuff. I don't know. Interesting. But, but yes, that's him. So you're welcome for that little fun fact. Thanks, Jeremy. Kaylin, you're like, I didn't even ask for that, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Are we going to talk about that scene now? Which one? The I never drinking scene? No. Oh, well, I was done. That's literally all I had to say about the I never drinking scene. So go ahead. <laughs> say what you needed to say. One other thing I wanted to add is that after Nathan says what he says, Lucas gets up and whispers to him, then welcome to mine. What does that mean? I have never understood that. Never understood that. I don't get it either. I think he's trying to say, "You're you're welcome to my drink, but it doesn't make sense. You're right. I thought maybe he was saying, then welcome to my life. Like my mine, meaning my reality, my life. Maybe. I'm always confused by that. It's a strange response. Yeah, you're right. I've always thought about it too. And honestly, after all these years watching the show, I just sort of ignore the line. I'm like, whatever. Yep. Okay. I. It's not just me because that makes so, zero sense. So, Mark B. Perry, <laughs> what did you mean when you wrote that line? <laughs> Email us at alwaysothpod <laughs> at gmail.com. But overall, I think it's just his way of saying that he's not going to play the game anymore. Yeah. And he was just trying to say, screw you to Nathan. It was just a really weird, overdramatic way of saying it. There could have been many other better lines than that. (laughs) Exactly. So if it wasn't bad enough that Nathan insulted Lucas during that game, he also plays a tape of Karen and Dan 
back in high school when they were pretty much claiming their love for each other and talking about the future. That video is weird. Why does it seem like it's a press conference? They must have been prom king and queen or something. Yeah, but do you remember at prom where, like, you know, everybody's, like, shouting out them and be like, what's your secret to success? Do you think you'll get married? Like, why are those questions being asked like it's a press conference? First off, prom king and queen, only in the movies, is it actually a couple. Yeah. <laughs> True. <laughs> so, it just... It doesn't make sense, but I think that's what they were going for. Also, Karen's hair is gorgeous. So, Brooke, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> when she says, oh my god, the hair! Like, no. Karen is beautiful. Or whoever the actress is that got to play young Karen. I guess it was just <laughs> supposed to be, like, 80s hairstyle. Well, I enjoyed it. Maybe it's, maybe it's just because, like, that's considered chic nowadays. However, after the video was shown, I just gotta love... The moment where everybody just looks at each other in such a dramatic fashion. <laughs> like, I know this is a podcast, so there's no way to convey this right now, but One Tree Hill does this a lot, where, like, something dramatic happens, and they all just give these stares. And I'm telling you, like, that moment, I feel like, is one of the first ones, and I'm just gonna be on a constant watch for moments like that. <laughs> I don't know why, it just makes me giggle. I know it's supposed to be dramatic, but it just makes me laugh. Like, especially with that song, like, what's she gonna do? And they're like, stare! I want to know, like, how they were directed during that moment, too. It's like, hey, you, stare to the left. Oh, stare to the right now. Oh, stare upward. Yeah. <laughs> that looks sad. <laughs> I would love to be a fly on the wall during the sat door moments like that. That's all. Yeah, it is, it is pretty funny. And I think <laughs> it's just showing in that moment how everyone is in shock and realizing, like, Nathan, what did you do? <laughs> Yeah. Like, everyone in that moment is thinking that Nathan is such a jerk for showing that. Mm-hmm. Only Tim is actually laughing. Of course. His sidekick. Yeah. And, um, my boy Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> is it is it pretty much right to just say he's my boy? You yeah. Know? You know. Gosh, Vegas is my favorite character. <laughs> Vegas even, like, he looks like he's doing, like, a polite laughter, but he seems to, like, be a little bit uncomfortable. I feel like that illustrates how bullying really is in school. Because sometimes it's like, okay, I'm just like politely laughing because I'm trying to uphold my social status, even though I know it's fucked up. Meanwhile, Peyton and Brooke, they're like, I'm not having it. They're like, what are you what is wrong with you? And we know that Peyton is really upset by this. Yes. As we find out later. Yeah, Peyton is obviously pissed off, which is why she breaks up with him. Thank God. I feel like this brief storyline shows that One Tree Hill never really makes storylines last too long. I feel like this show is very good at not dragging stuff out. Because huh. I feel like if this was another show, Peyton and Nathan would have been together the entire first season. That's an awesome point. I never thought of it like that, but you are so <laughs> right. They would have been together the entire first season. Exactly. They'd never drag anything out. I feel like they're really good about that, honestly. And I feel like this is just one example of that. It's like, if you're getting bored of seeing um, Nathan and Peyton together, it's like, well, all right, they're, they're done now, so you don't have to see them together now. Well, it's not like there were any scenes with Nathan and Peyton where they were actually happy. So exactly. it makes sense that they would break up. And then after this night and seeing all the things that Nathan did to Lucas, I'm glad that Peyton stood up for herself and said enough is enough. 
Even when Nathan tries to insult her, she says, I'll call you when you're not so PMS. And she's like, don't bother. I mean it, we're done. And then she just tells him to get out. It's so powerful. It is. And then that makes me think of the scene with Peyton and Brooke. Peyton says to Brooke that Karen was the same age as them when she was with Dan and got pregnant. And she's realizing, like, how poorly Karen was treated by Dan. And then Brooke, even though she's drunk in this moment, she said something along the lines of, we aren't like her, meaning Karen, but you are like her. And I think that moment is really what got Peyton to be like, I have to break up with him. (laughs) Yeah, it was a a wake-up call at the end of the day. She says, I don't want that to be my future. It was very powerful. Yeah, I think even though Brooke was drunk, that is a really good line. Along with her line where she says, Don't let me have another beer unless I bag you. Same goes for boys. <laughs> <laughs> which, which just made me laugh so hard. I love it. I'm just like, yes. <laughs> Take ownership of your sexuality, girl, you know? Oh, uh, Brooke Davis. I love her lines. And I feel like the final straw with Peyton was the fact that Nathan lied about the car. He took the car to take Haley home and crashes it. It's a hit and run. He leaves the scene and then lies about it to Peyton's face. But this whole storyline with the car also triggers another conflict where Lucas finds Haley's hat in Peyton's car. And that's how he figures out that Haley and Nathan have been spending time together. He just doesn't know how. And honestly, to be fair, I do like how when Lucas confronts Haley, he gives her an opportunity to come clean about it. But instead, she chooses to keep up the lie. This is the second episode now where it ends with Lucas and Haley, and she's lying about seeing Nathan. Exactly. Lucas didn't know it in episode 103, but now he knows. Yeah, and I just, I really do not understand why... Haley lied about this. Because at the end of the day, she's a tutor. She's doing her job. I don't see anything wrong with her just telling Lucas and say, you know what? Like, this sucks that I have to do this. But I'm just letting you know so it doesn't look like I'm hiding anything. Because there wouldn't be any drama, Jeremiah. I know, I know. (laughs) By the way, I sometimes call Jeremy Jeremiah. (laughs) So it might slip. I don't... Sometimes. This may be the first episode where you actually did it. I think think, think so. (laughs) We're getting too comfortable four episodes in. Anyway. (laughs) But yeah, no, I get you. There wouldn't be any drama, but I'm just saying it would have. There would have been significantly less drama if she just told the truth. I mean, it's his brother. There's just so much history there. If it was like this guy who just didn't like him, it'd be one thing. But the fact that it's his brother... It's just very touchy, so I can see why she'd want to keep it a secret, but nothing good can come from that. Exactly. Like, I get it, she doesn't want to hurt him, but I feel like this is hurting Lucas more now. I'm sorry, Haley, you're not doing a good job now. Yeah, I agree. Ooh, time for our favorite segment of the episode. Yes! So, what was your favorite quote? My favorite quote was when Deb said to Karen, there's a lot of history there, but it doesn't have to be our history. That was one of my honorable mentions. That quote in this context, it's just really powerful because it means a lot coming from Deb. And it's refreshing to see that their relationship can be more than what we initially thought it might be. Mm -hmm. You would think these two women would hate each other. 
but they're leading us to believe that's not going to be the case. So it seemed really hopeful to me. I liked that quote. Yeah, it was definitely going against what typically happens in these types of shows, and I enjoyed it because logically, there is no reason why the two of them should hate each other. Yeah, they've never even talked before. (laughs) Yeah, there really isn't. What about you? What was your favorite? Well, that was one of my honorable mentions, along with Brooke's line, don't let me have another beer unless I bag you, same goes for boys. (laughs) But my absolute favorite line was when Peyton is talking to Lucas, and Lucas says, ask her, like, so you have a webcam and you have this artwork, but you don't want anybody to know it's you. And then she responds with, I guess I'm just a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside a bitch. Yeah, that was a good one. It's just so funny. It's so smart. And she's just like, she's basically telling Lucas, fuck you. Yep. And not saying he necessarily deserves it, but, but then again, like, Peyton's obviously very closed off. And I feel like that line just very, that really illustrates that. And it was just good. It's definitely season one Peyton. For sure. (laughs) Yes. All right. What was your favorite musical moments? I loved the song at the very end, Return to Me by Matthew Ryan. Mm. I've always liked that song. I feel like every time I watch that episode, I remember that song at the end. Really? Okay. I looked at the lyrics, and it's really all about like being sorry for the things you did in the past, and almost kind of being like haunted by your past in a way. And I think that relates to a lot of the characters and what they're going through. Absolutely. Like, one of the lines in the song was, I'm sorry, did I say I'm sorry? I'm sorry, I'm sorry now. And that's repeated quite a bit in different ways throughout the song. So I think it makes sense because a lot of these characters have done things that they regret. I think it wraps up the episode nicely. And oh, totally. my honorable mention would be Empty Apartment by Yellow Card because... That album, Ocean Avenue, is one of my favorite albums ever. Really? Yeah. But I liked the ending song a bit more where it was placed, but I I do love Mm -hmm. Empty Apartment, too. By the way, this isn't really a spoiler, but you know that song by Yellow Card also appears in the second season premiere? Empty Apartment? Yeah. Yeah, I did remember that it played another time, too. For some reason, I don't really think of this episode when that song comes up, but I always think of the second season premiere, and I remember that song vividly. The song's also more prevalent, too, in that scene, I remember. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, I don't know, like, as soon as I watch this episode, because, you know, it's been, it's been a few years since I've seen this episode at this point, I immediately recognize, I'm like, oh, this song appears in season two. Just a random observation. What was your favorite song, then? My favorite song is right after Nathan plays the tape. The song is called What You Gonna Do by Sprung Monkey. Mm-hmm. And it's not even like a full song. It's really just like a sound bite from the song that plays. But the lyrics are, you know, I tried so hard to laugh, but I just don't know how. And that perfectly illustrates what's happening. Like, Lucas tried to be the bigger person by going to this party. And then Nathan pulled this shit. And he just couldn't do it anymore. He doesn't know how to laugh anymore. And I just really like that song. I don't know. It, it just perfectly illustrated the tension that was going on during all the dramatic stares where they're like, what you gonna do? Dramatic stare. I wish you could see like my dramatic stare right now. <laughs> it definitely adds to the drama. That's a really good point. Yeah. Like, I'm really trying to do a dramatic stare. So just, you know, <laughs> listeners at home or in your car, wherever you listen to this, just, just imagine me lo- like looking at Caitlin with, like, this really concerned face. We'll have to take a a screenshot of (laughs) our video call. (laughs) Do the dramatic stare. 
It's like, what's she gonna do? <laughs> You're actually having a screenshot. I don't... <laughs> cool. Anyway. <laughs> so what would you say was your rating for the episode? I gave it four out of five VHS tapes. What's a VHS tape? <laughs> They're irrelevant now. It's hilarious that even in 2003... They were referring to that, because DVDs were becoming a thing at that point, but I know that an old VHS tape, obviously, would have been used for, like, the 80s and 90s. So, <laughs> I gave it a 4 out of 5, because I enjoy this episode. Every time I watch it, I enjoy it. So, compared to the previous three episodes, this one is by far the best in the season, and... Mm-hmm. I think it really propels the drama and the action in this show. And this is only the beginning. I I am getting so excited for the episodes we're about to start talking about. Because, as you said, this is the first good episode. It really is. So what would you rate it? I gave it four out of five games of I Never. Oh, nice. So we rated it the same. We did, for once. <laughs> The only reason why it doesn't get a full five out of five for me is just because some of the storylines have become a little bit drawn out, like the whole Nathan Payton then, but that's coming to an end now. So you know what? The story can only go up from here. Yeah, for sure. And it for sure does. Oh boy. I'm saving that five out of five rating for like the really good season finales or premieres or just like the really, really, really good episodes. I have a five out of five coming up, actually. Okay. I'm not going to tell you which one. (laughs) <laughs> well, no, there it won't necessarily always be a finale. There are plenty okay. of episodes that I really love that aren't the finale, but it's going to be rare, I think. I have one coming up very soon. <laughs> That's all I can say. The next say. episode, guys. <laughs> <laughs> we'll say. <laughs> I'm excited. We're really getting to the good stuff now. Mm-hmm. Always and Forever is on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at AlwaysOTHpod. You can also email us at AlwaysOTHpod at gmail.com. That's always O-T-H-P-O-D. You can follow Jeremy Rodriguez on Twitter at Rodriguez Jeremy. You can follow Kaylin Illinich on Twitter at Miss I Reads. Outside of following our socials, the easiest way to support us is by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. That helps One Tree Hill fans, new and old, find us. Now, if you don't want future episodes of One Tree Hill to be spoiled for you, now is the time to turn this podcast off. Otherwise, stay tuned for the spoiler segment after the music ends. We'll We'll be be seeing seeing you. Welcome to the spoiler segment of Always and Forever. Once again, if you do not wish to have the series spoiled for you, consider this your final warning. Turn off this podcast now. All right, Deb Scott. Yes! <laughs> I, you know, Deb in the beginning, in season one, she's really portrayed as, like, a mom, I feel like. And as the series goes on, <laughs> she, she definitely becomes, like, a quirkier character. <laughs> oh, totally. <laughs> and she becomes, like, comic relief a lot of the time. Yes. So it's really interesting to see her early on again, because she's like a typical mom, like a typical working mom. Yeah, like a typical soccer mom, well, basketball mom. She feels motherly, and 
I don't know. That changes over time for sure. But <laughs> <laughs> What are some of your favorite Zab lines? We're coming up to one real soon. <laughs> I think I know which one you're talking about, though. The one I... where she says, I want you out of this house, Dan. Or so help me God, I will stab you in your sleep. <laughs> <laughs> like, she one. does not take I, I just got chills just saying that line like it's so good <laughs> she puts dan in his place and i totally. think they really write the character well yeah especially in the first few seasons my favorite line from her is in the third season finale oh. when she says <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know what I'm about. <laughs> oh my god i got chills <laughs> you know what i'm about to say <laughs> she's like dan I'm not in love with you. I am not coming back to you. And Keith didn't try to kill you. I did. Oh my god, my body has chills. And then she walked away. Like, ooh, all right. (laughs) Jeremy, I'm I'm going to literally lose it when we get to season three. Like, (laughs) I I can't even tell you how excited. I wish we could just jump to season three right now because (laughs) I love that season so much. Every episode, I'm just going to be like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, I love every moment. (laughs) And there's so much to talk about. Oh, totally. Another iconic Zeb moment, when she smashes Nanny Carey's face in in season six. Oh, yeah. I I think that moment's criminally underrated. I love that part. (laughs) I forgot about that. She literally comes out of nowhere and just like whips her in the face with a bottle of champagne or wine or whatever. It's just so, so good. Zeb always seems to show up like, at the bus moment. hmm And even getting to, like, season nine, like, obviously, Deb and Dan, they get divorced. Takes a bit, but they get divorced. And then there's mm-hmm. many years where, you know, they hate each other. But then I love how in season nine, they come back together to find Nathan. Yes. And I really love that there's finally, like, some closure there mm-hmm. with those two characters. Because they've been through a lot. Yes. I love that Zeb came back for the final season, too. I remember when it happened, I wasn't even expecting it. I was like, oh, Zeb. Like, I don't know. Like, whenever I see Zeb on screen, it always brings a smile to my face. Yeah, because she's not around in, like, season... I don't know. Is she in season six? She's in season six, yes. She randomly disappears, though. Six, seven, and eight, really, she's not around much, so... I don't know about seven and eight. I need. I feel like I need to verify this, though. Hold on. All right. So she randomly disappears in season six, and then she comes back for two episodes in season nine. Yeah, she is gone for a while, though. But yes, I just love Barbara Allen one so much. Which, by the way, did you know she's on Cameo? No, I didn't. I don't know what that is, though. Oh, Cameo? It's like a, it's a website where you can purchase like a special message from a celebrity, and a celebrity will record a video for you. Or for, like, a loved one. That's not necessarily have to be for you. that's cool. Yeah, Barbara Allen Woods is on there. She's only $30. As of this recording, at least. Chad Michael Murray's also on there, too. You get a message from him. He costs $200. Dang. Yeah. Um, Brett Claywell is also on there. Lindsay McKeon. There's a few other people who I completely forget, but... Yeah. So I'm just saying, hey, listeners, if you want to give us a special message from the One Tree Hill cast, you can feel free to email us... (laughs) At alwaysothpod at gmail.com. <laughs> if you want to give us a little present, <laughs> feel free, no pressure. Yeah, but I, I am just saying, personally, I would love for Barbara Allen Woods to give me a nice message of support. That is all. <laughs> I would love that. 
Uh, do we want to talk about how she dated Skills? Are we ready to talk about that? Or should we just, like, pretend that didn't happen until let's, it does Yeah, happen? let's wait till that happens, I think. <laughs> I don't know what I have to say. I don't Other know either. It's weird. <laughs> it is legal. It's not, you know... I mean, he was that's well like out of high school at that point. Yeah. There is just something weird about the fact, like, you know, you're dating one of your son's friends that you've known since he was a teenager. Like, I don't know. Yeah, it is weird. <laughs> but on a completely different note, this particular episode, which we just discussed, reminded me of the season two What If episode, which is like an alternate reality. Nathan goes into a coma and he dreams of a situation where Dan picks Karen instead of Deb. Deb's running a diner. Karen's now financially well off. Lucas is with Peyton at this point, but he's just as toxic as Nathan was in season one. And I don't know, like, this episode just really reminded me of that. Because especially when Lucas was talking about how Dan should have given us what we were entitled to. And it just makes you think, like, oh, how would have things been different? And I feel like they get into that in that particular episode. Yeah, that's a really good point. Especially... I think of Lucas and Haley walking into the beach house mm-hmm. in this episode and yeah. realizing just like how big it is and how wealthy Nathan's family is. So yeah. I can see why you would draw that connection because Dan could have easily stayed with Karen or went back to Karen and roles could have been reversed. Definitely. And even that, um, the breakup scene between Nathan and Peyton is the exact same breakup scene between Lucas and Peyton as well. Oh. Like, the same dialogue. Cool. I don't have clear memories of that episode at the moment. Yeah. I'm surprised you so, don't remember that one. No, That's one of my favorites, honestly. It's it's totally a filler episode, but I really do enjoy that one. I'm not a huge fan of those types of episodes, but... Oh. <laughs> so that's probably why. But I, I remember it, but I don't remember, like, specific scenes like that. Right. It's been a bit. But I'm looking forward to talking about that one. I don't know. I just think this one was, uh, it just reminded me of it. That's all. That's why I wanted to touch on it. I can see why. But that's a long way off. What is not a long way off is our next episode. I feel like I've used this transition twice already in a <laughs> row, but that's okay. Let's stay on brands. <laughs> next time, we will be discussing season one, episode five, All That You Can't Leave Behind. According to the episode description in our old One Tree Hill DVD sets, this is the one where, is it only a game? Dan's determined to be a winner in the father-son basketball game, even, or maybe especially, if it means Nathan has to lose. And Peyton grapples with the memory of her mother's death. We'll We'll be be seeing seeing ya. ya.